Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Hey, we are in the last installment in our series, Made to Worship. We had a uh, little detour last week as we uh, honored some families, and uh, we had a couple families not able to be here for the baby dedication. So we're just going to pray for them as it works out and as they're here. And so in the next few weeks, hopefully we'll, we'll be able to... I see little Leif is here this morning. He looks pretty good. He's making eye contact with me today, too. Hi, buddy. How are you today? Oh, that is a fine little nephew. He's my favorite nephew. <clears throat> the newest ones always are. <coughs> yeah, all right. Cute kids they make. Um, yeah, so we will we'll be dealing with the, you know, we're always dealing with babies in this church, it feels like, so, and uh, we're not that far from the next generation started to deal with babies, so, oh, boy. Here we go. Um, All right. This church, our church, and it should be every church, is marked and is supposed to be marked by the presence of God. I uh, I came across, or someone gave it to me or was on Instagram, but Robert Morris had made a comment, which I really appreciated, about people's fear of the mark of the beast and what that meant in our eschatology and how it all applies to today. And his, his, his meme or tweet or whatever it was was very simple. And, and that was, you don't need to worry about the mark of the beast when you're marked by God. And, and it, it does say that. We, the, the, the followers, those who belong to Jesus, we, we bear a mark that is his name. And that mark represents something very important to our conversation, and that is the presence of God. Because as we have been talking about, the different temples that are revealed, the, the tents, the tabernacles, the temples that we have seen revealed uh, throughout Scripture from the beginning in the garden until the cross. <clears throat> and as I'll draw on before we get to the end of the message today, even into the book of Revelation, the people of God must be marked by the presence of God. And that is of vital importance because in it is identity, in it is possession, belonging, and in it is safety and covering and all of those things that kind of come under uh, lordship or headship. And, um, you know, it culminated, I suppose, in the moment that Jesus came uh, as a baby. And we discovered Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And that was the first time that God had walked with man since the garden in man's flesh. And, and so it's a powerful thing that we're about to celebrate in the Christmas season, of course, and we say it every year, but it doesn't mean it becomes less valuable. In fact, it becomes more valuable as we draw closer and closer to the eminent return of Christ. Um, but we are now in the presence of God all the time because of Jesus, because he left his spirit to indwell us. He, he left his person, his nature, his name to dwell in on us, in us and on us. And that is important that we bear that mark on our lives. Uh, if you want to open your Bible this morning to Acts chapter 15, or of course, like most people, you can just look on the big screen behind me. But Acts 15, 15 to 18 says this, With this the words of the prophets agree, just as it is written, After these things I will return and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. And I will rebuild its ruins, and I will restore it, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things known from long ago. 
This passage happened, um, I, I believe, someone can correct me or don't worry about it if you don't want to correct me. I believe this was either at the Council of Jerusalem or it was in the same group of leaders, men, um, who were having this discussion about what to do with the Gentiles that were coming to Christ. And that conversation is recorded in the book of Acts as I read to you, but what they're referring to is actually a passage from the prophet Amos, which you could find in Amos chapter 9, verses 11 and 12. And it's significant in that the coming of Christ... Uh, he was coming to rebuild the tent of David because we've talked about the tent of David or the tabernacle of David, right? If you go back a few weeks, you could go back and listen uh, again. But we talked about the tabernacle of David and, and how David was about the restoration of the presence of God to the nation of Israel. And so he went and he got the Ark of the Covenant back. He brought it back with all the pomp and circumstance and learned a few hard lessons along the way, if you've read the story. Uh, but David was about the restoration. Now, again, in the building of the, the Temple of Solomon and the destruction and the captivity to Babylon and all the things that happened in the generations between David and Jesus, and understand the value of this, because uh, Jesus is, a, he is a, the Bible calls him a son of David, He's always the house and the line of David. And you need to understand the value of that because when we connect David and Jesus, it's because in the working of what God has done, he always intended to connect Jesus to David. Always. That was the plan. That was the lineage through which Jesus would enter the earth. But what's more important, I think, than that is the restoration of the temple, or the, sorry, the tabernacle of David in the person and in the coming of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ did something that the tabernacle or the tent of David could not do. And while the tent of David brought the presence of God and the symbols of the Ark of the Covenant and the things that were in the Ark, it was still not Emmanuel. It was still not the same as God with us. And so that is a prophetic statement about the coming of Jesus, what he would do. And certainly he has done it and we experience the benefit of it today. But I think... Most importantly for this morning, I want to draw your attention to something. After these things, I will return, it says, and I will rebuild the tabernacle of David, which has fallen. Worship and striving and reaching for the presence of God goes in and out of style in the church. And it did in the people of God, too. That's why they wandered for 40 years for something that should have taken maybe a week, you know. Um, I see it all the time in my own life. I see it in other people's lives where we kind of get uh, close to God and we get a little played out and we draw away. We get distracted by other things and we, we create distance between us and our, our Father in heaven. And, and you know, the, the, the constant reality that we struggle with is that our earthly tents, as the Bible calls them, are struggling with our earthly realities. And as much as I want to be joy-filled, there's days when my physical body says, no, you're not going to allow it to be joy-filled today. I'm going to make sure everything in you hurts. I'm going to make sure that your, your, uh, your brain chemistry is a little out of whack. I'm going to, I'm, you know, the, the carnal man is fading away constantly, and death is a reality every minute that we're alive in this world. And so we, too, understand or can understand this struggle of the presence of God being restored to us, but then we are not always great stewards of that presence. And so we go out from it and we come back into it and, and that's the nature, that's the dance, for lack of a better term, that we seem to do with God. But I want you to pay attention to why, the why there is a restoration in Jesus of the tabernacle or the tent of David. And why was it? Anybody catch it? He said, so that the rest of mankind may seek the Lord. 
Now, this is very important for you and I to understand because as a presence-driven church in that we are driven to the presence of God, we are driving for the presence of God. If Jesus is not going to show up in spirit in our services, I don't want to be here either. And what amazes me over all the years is he always does come. His presence always settles in wherever we gather. And we can sense him, we can know him, and he speaks to us. And we have an interaction with the almighty living God. And it's an amazing thing. But the the value here of why this restoration must happen in the tabernacle of David, in the person of Jesus, is so that all men may seek God and find him. All of the Gentiles who are called by my name. And I love that the Lord wrote about this through the prophet Amos in the Old Testament, and it is a fulfillment again, another prophetic word of Jesus that's fulfilled in Scripture in the New Testament. These Old Testament tents were about the presence of God being with the people and and the people now having access to the presence of God, being able to see the presence of God, having the reassurance. You know, when you're with Israel wandering through the desert, following the pillar of fire at night and the the pillar of cloud by day, I mean, that had to be reassuring, wouldn't it be? You get to... You get to the Red Sea and and that whole miracle happens and you encounter these difficulties and problems and it's amazing to me that somehow in the process of the wilderness, Israel got distracted from the fact that there is a pillar of fire leading them. That the very presence of God is leading them. I share that with you so that you can understand this morning, this is not uncommon to human beings to be distracted from the presence of God. The early church came out of a movement of people in Israel in the practice of Judaism where they had not heard from God in hundreds of years. They had the temple, they had specifically the temple of Herod in the, around the time of Jesus. They had no prophets in the land, no prophets in the nation. They literally went hundreds of years without hearing from God. Relying only on Old Testament Scripture. Just a little side, a side note for you. No wonder they began to invent so many verbal traditions and rules. And, so, and, and no wonder they exploited the law of God to their own ends, their own means, and to ultimately their own gains. There, there was no prophetic voice in their life. Just Silence because of where their hearts were at, because of how they had chosen over the generations to deal with the presence of God. That's where the church comes from when Jesus steps onto the scene. His first believers were all Jews, raised in temple worship, familiar with the rites and the sacrifices and the extremism of religion in their day. And so they had to deal with that reality in a unique way when it came to the Gentiles joining the body of Christ. That was a hard thing for them. But this is what I love. You see, God didn't give a new set of rules for the Gentiles to be able to join and become heirs of the promise. What did God give? God gave his presence. I love this. And if you don't love this, something is wrong with you. I'm joking. But I'm not really joking. Maybe you've never thought of this before, 
But God did not have to say, hey, for the Gentiles to come in, I'm going to give you a list of rules. In fact, if you continue to read in that chapter of the book of Acts, that conversation goes exactly to that. Well, what are we supposed to make the Gentiles do? They're not Jewish. What rules are they supposed to follow? And I kind of wonder, I, I'm not arguing with God's word. It's, it is sovereign. It is perfect in what it is. It is his revealed word, inspired word. But I just kind of wonder if they had really dug down a little deeper on what the book of Amos was saying to them. That God was restoring a tabernacle in Jesus Christ that would draw all men to himself. That it wasn't going to be about the rules. Rather, it would be about his presence. Some of you need to hear this this morning. Your whole life trying to live as a follower of Jesus has been spent checking boxes and figuring out the rules when the whole time God has spoken through his word to say, it is not about the rule, it is not about the law. That was just a temporary teacher for your life to bring you to grace and repentance. It is about my presence. And that, by the way, doesn't nullify his law in any way. Where does faith come from? Faith is God's gift to us. We've been over this. I don't mind saying it again for our benefit. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing comes by the word of God, and God gives every man a measure of faith. It's his gift for us. But where is that faith supposed to go to become active? Well, the only place it can be active, the only place it can go, is the presence of God. And any gift that he gives certainly contains and pertains to his presence being active in our lives. Guys, the reason Jesus came was for the restoration of the tent, the tabernacle of David. Why does this matter for worship? Well, worship and the presence of God are inseparable ideas. Worship and presence are absolutely inseparable ideas. The early church had to realize this word from the Lord. And it was a part of practice and teaching. And today it's more important than ever that people in the church realize that as followers of Christ, as his bride, as his body, we have to be characterized by the presence of God. And the presence of God is manifested most often in our worship. I don't feel God. When was the last time you worshiped? I learned, I think my parents taught me as a little boy. They did. They, they literally forced me to sing and they forced me to do things in church. They forced me to be involved. And you know what? I turned out okay, parents. You're, you're, you're allowed to make your kids do stuff because it's good for them to learn how to be under authority because we're all going to spend eternity under authority. Come on. Come on. We're going to spend eternity under authority. We're going to spend eternity in the presence of God. In this time you have, to learn how to worship God and be in his presence is valuable time for you and I as his church, but even more importantly, as individuals, as individual living stones that make up the body of Christ, that make up his church. We have to be characterized. We have to be marked by the presence of God. 
And it's so important because here is what happens to religious people when they are not marked by the legitimate, authentic presence of God. You know what happens? They become black churches and white churches. They become progressive churches and conservative churches. They become pro-gay churches and anti-gay churches. They become old hymn churches and new chorus churches. They They become churches that let women minister and churches that don't let women minister. All of these things happen when the focus is taken off of the reality and presence of God. Why does it happen? Because anytime we shut out the prophetic in the presence of God, we begin to fill in and make up our own stuff. We come by our own interpretation rather than the interpretation of the Holy Spirit, which is the whole reason Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit, to bring to remembrance all that Christ taught and to guide us into truth. Oh, that pastor, he's one of those Holy Spirit people, throw away your Bible. You can't throw away your Bible. The Bible is the means by which through the Holy Spirit speaks to us. But when you deny his presence, when you hold his presence at arm's length, you will never interpret his word correctly. Why? Because you're disconnected from his heart. You're disconnected from his mind. You're disconnected from his presence. Everybody can relate to angry texting, right? Have you ever thought you were getting an angry text only to realize when you spent time with the person that it wasn't an angry text at all? Come on, every, hand, every head bowed, every eye closed, every hand raised. We've all been there. Some of you didn't know that you weren't allowed to text in all caps because it means you're yelling. Right? Some of us, we didn't know when it first started. What's the issue with communicating through text, people? The lack of presence. It's the lack of presence that doesn't bring appropriate context to what is written. Do you see what I'm trying to say to you this morning? It is the presence of God that contextualizes the Word of God by the understanding given to us in faith by the Spirit of God that brings everything into focus, that causes all Scripture to not conflict with itself, but rather to reveal the important point it needs to make for every opportunity, every stage, every crisis we could ever face as the followers of Jesus. And it can only come that way. If you don't have the presence of God, you do not have the skill set to interpret and understand his word. You don't. I mean, even opening the pages of your Bible should bring the presence of God to your life. It's so important today for these reasons that we are characterized by the presence of God because it's about more than how we're characterized. It's about our being. We don't want to be a church characterized by geography, topography, ethnicity, race, color, gender, or status. See Galatians 3 if you need more. Oh, never mind. I'm going to read it to you. Galatians chapter 3, 24 to 29. Here's what it says. Therefore, by, therefore the law has become our tutor. And we just, I referenced this just a moment ago. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor which was the law. For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free man. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's descendants and heirs of the promise. All of the realities are still present. I am a white person. 
Now, that doesn't mean I'm Caucasian in origin even. I have, in my ancestry, I have people who look an awful lot like Inuit. I have, I have who, who knows? I've never done the 23andMe test. We're not tens of millions of years apart as a human race. We're just a few thousand years apart. But in the absence of presence, it becomes about what color people might be. In the absence of presence, it becomes about the status you have. I'm a rich man. I'm a poor man. And that determines where you sit in church? Of course not. I'm a male. I'm a female. You are all one in Christ Jesus. And while all of those beautiful realities matter, race is a beautiful reality. Culture is a beautiful reality. Gender is a beautiful reality. All the men said amen. I mean, I don't know what women find attractive about maleness at all, but I sure find femaleness attractive, especially that one. Especially. <clears throat> Her birthday is tomorrow, so, you know, I'm uh, making some deposits into emotional bank accounts today. <laughs> Let me say this to you again, church. The defining quality of the body of Christ should be his presence. We're not trying to create Canadian culture in this church. We're actually doing our best to pull down a heavenly culture. Heavenly culture. Well, what does that look like? I actually don't know. I do know the song of heaven is holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Holy, day and night. Day and night they sing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. So I have a, I have a, a glimpse of a culture of heaven. And sometimes the best we can do with our glimpse is put it to music and sing the words again and again. And you know what? That's okay. That is the heart of worship. The beautiful, the design, the attributes, the virtues of God, all that he is captured in our meager words and put to our meager tunes to sing back to him to be a pleasing sacrifice of praise. It's got to be evident. If the divining quality of the church is Christ, his presence, then it should be evident that Christ is the head of his church. And while there are certain political and social implications that could be made with that statement in times like we're in, I want to be clear that any implication that you can apply to this conversation that takes away from the commission or the mission of the church is simply a distraction because the church is only about one thing. That is the worship of God and the preaching of his word, the gospel. That's all we're about. Yes, we have to have political ideals. Yes, we have to be for justice. Yes, we have to be for right thinking. Yes, we have to bring the, the, the ideas of different factions together because we have been given a ministry of reconciliation. Yes, yes, yes. But those things are only distractions if we cannot continue to share the gospel, to bring Jesus into people's homes, to bring Jesus into conversations, to worship God in a way that draws people to Jesus. This is what matters. 
The worship of God and the presence of God are like the interlocked fingers of two hands holding each other. You cannot have one complete without the other. Not us. I mean, God's presence is complete with or without us. But our participation in his presence cannot be done without the proper respect and honor shown for his presence. And just, just so you know, if you're a box checker, there are no boxes you can check for that. You, you're not under the law. You're not under a tutor anymore. Remember this. presence of God is found when we worship him, when we draw near to him with confidence and with gratitude. That is the key to the active work of the Holy Spirit to draw and save the lost. You should try it sometime, sharing the gospel of Jesus with a person who doesn't know him and have no presence of God in your life. It is the most helpless situation you can probably ever feel yourself in. You know what's right. You know you want to. But ah, the Lord abandoned me. No, you didn't enter into his presence. You didn't enter into his presence. And this entering in is the most important part of our response. In the first week we, in this series, we talked about this fact that you and I are kings and priests unto God and no one else can be a priest for you. You have a ministry before God. You have a responsibility before God to be a worshiper and to bring the sacrifices of praise to him. It is your responsibility. More on that in a minute. I just want to say this because it's important for us to remember, even though we might think we know this, we might think we believe this, we might think we live this, let me just put it up on the screen for you. Worship is to bless God, not us. I remember meeting a guy a while back at a conference who talked about how offended he was. Is it a conference or a podcast? I can't remember now. He, he talked about how offended he used to be because they would sing a song in church called Come Bless the Lord. And it just it didn't line up with his religious thinking. <laughs> we can't bless God. We're a, bunch of, we're a bunch of losers and sinners and hopeless wrecks. We can't bless the Lord. But... That's what worship is for, to bless the Lord. Worship has to be about blessing God, not you. Now, I know fundamentally we would all say, oh, of course, yeah, of course, Pastor. Um, I think that worship for each one of us in this room and watching online was truly about blessing God. We'd see some different things happening in church, wouldn't we? I think we'd see a whole lot more abandon in worship. Well, Pastor, I just like to wait for this song to slow down and for everyone to close their eyes before I raise my hands because if I'm being honest, I don't want to see, I want other people to see me raising my hands. I'm sorry to tell you, worship just became about blessing you and not blessing God. Well, I don't sing very well, so I prefer not to sing. Guys, we're going to be singing in heaven. You should practice now. <laughs> Hello. Well, I don't like music. Heaven's going to suck for you, brother. <laughs> I, don't like, I don't like music. Day after day, night after night. 
holy, holy, holy is the Lord. Well, heaven sounds kind of boring. You don't get it yet then if you don't. Man, such little thoughts sometimes. But wouldn't we, if, if it's really about God, wouldn't we see more abandoned? Shouldn't we see more abandoned? Shouldn't we see a lot more people blessing God rather than being concerned about how they appear, how they look, how they sound? Now, the difference between, this is a very simple step we can all take this morning. The difference between understanding how it is that we bless God and not ourselves or not others is that we understand who our audience is. And sometimes people come to church and they accuse churches with worship ministries happening. They accuse them of putting on a show. And you know what? If you come to our church and say, oh, yeah, that worship team, they're putting on a show. you. It's to bless God. And we would love for you to be a part of what we're doing to bless God. You see, in corporate worship, there is a necessity for a structure, and there's a necessity for leadership, because, oh, Lord, help us, according to Psalm, what is it, Psalm 33, 3, sing to the Lord a new song, play skillfully with a loud noise, right? That, that's, that's why there's structure in corporate worship, because because we're going to play skillfully with a loud noise. But here's uh, an interesting uh, thought I had as I was working this out this morning. Um, I want you to understand, make no mistake, that Satan has worked overtime and very hard in the background of many churches to bring division and confusion over the style and the type of songs and hymns that are sung. Everyone seems to forget in those discussions... The worship in this church, well, then you're not worshiping. Sing to the Lord a new song. Well, I don't know how to write songs. Okay, just say the words I love you. Let me make it simple for you. Say the word holy. Now say it again. Now say it again. Now say it again. Now imagine a tune and just go for it. Well, I, don't, I, don't, I don't want to. Well, you don't understand your audience yet. You don't understand that the God who created the universe and whatever else beyond is beyond actually stops what he's doing. Just, just, just imagine with me. He actually, because he, he, he can stop what he's doing and still sustain everything by the power of his word. So he stops what he's doing and he focuses right in on Stephen. And Stephen is singing and he sounds like a big old alpha male wolf. But, but, what, but, but what's happening? When we worship, our audience pays attention. Can you, can, you can you imagine if you were God, that you would even stop all the important things you're doing for one second to listen to some six-foot-eight-tall, gargantuan man Sing? I honestly, if I can be totally transparent, I don't know how I'd have time to stop. But I struggle with stopping for important things all the time, just like you do. But God, for some reason, stops. He just, he sustains all things by the power of his word. And he listens in on what his daughter Torah sings and says to him. As she brings a sacrifice of praise. 
the fruit of her lips giving thanks. And some of you who just whisper and mutter in the back of the church, you know what? God stops what he's doing and he has an interaction with you. And you, you experience his presence in that moment. But you've got to understand who your audience is. Because just like when our, you can't even, you, we can't even fool the most simple human child with this. Who's had, who had a child that was a contact talker? I think we all have had at least one, right? I think every family has at least one child that is a serious contact talker. You can't fake a child. They know that they are supposed to be your audience. And so when you're saying, oh, yes, sweetie, and I love you too, and you turn over here to do something really important, what, is the, what does the child do? They grab your face. They pull it back so that you're one-on-one. Guys, guys, God reveals himself through children all the time. And your audience of one, many mornings when you come to church, is looking at you going, why are you looking around from side to side? Why are you looking up and down and here and there? Why are you wincing? We, we know that Pastor Trav is not truly a lead guitarist already. Don't worry about that. We know it's probably the sound guy's fault anyway, so go easy on him. <laughs> but God, but God, says, God says, no, give, give me your cheeks, son. Give me your cheeks and make eye contact with me because this moment is about my presence changing your life. Because I have restored our relationship for you. I don't understand how Christians can deviate from a lifestyle of worship just because what God has done for us. Worship team, you can come. I'm, 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 I need to be finished. 33 minutes. This is a record. <clears throat> um. Don't miss the fact that worship is an action. And actions require activity. Nothing will happen unless you become active. Nothing will happen if you don't become active. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to oversell this. The Lord does come and find us. He, he doesn't snuff us out. You're not worshiping good? I'm not visiting my presence on you anymore. No, God, God woos us is what he does. And he kind of just, he kind of comes past and we get a taste and we get a memory of his presence and he is working and wooing us to draw us back in to that, that childlike relationship of just make eye contact with me in this moment. Just, just face to face. See, God has always wanted to walk with man face to face again. And we are, we are headed back to that place. That's what the book of Revelation teaches All of this works together to that last restoration, to the final restoration of, if you will, the final temple. We've talked about this throughout the series. We first encounter man and God walking together in the Garden of Eden. God would come and walk with them in the cool of the day, talk with them. And then through the process of time, Moses had to build a tent to house the presence of God. And I told you that God has always preferred tents to stone temples. And he does today. We're going to be in a church building project in the near future. And you know what? That building is not going to hold more or less of the presence of God. 
It's the people. It's the living stones of the church that hold the manifest presence of God. But we're actually headed to something even better. We had Garden, we had Moses, we had David, we had the temple of Solomon, we had the temple of Herod, and then Jesus comes and he says, I'm going to destroy this temple, or you're going to destroy this temple, I'm going to rebuild it in three days, and he did. And so now we live in the, air, the age of this temple of Jesus, where he indwells us as living houses, fulfilling all kinds of Old Testament prophecy, by the way. Heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build for me? Where is the one that I may rest? Has my hand not created all these things? Yet to this one I will look, to one who is humble, who is contrite of spirit, who trembles at my word. God has always wanted to live in you. God's plan for his presence has always been to indwell you. And if we can't worship, that is going to be a really difficult thing to have installed in us. I know this not because I'm a brilliant Bible scholar, but because for whatever reason, from the time I was a little boy, I appreciated and loved the presence of God. And so many times when nothing else was going right, I could turn my eyes to Jesus and he would show up. He would come into my space. He'd come into my place and sit with me and talk with me and teach me something. You might be in a place right now where you think, well, that's profound and special. I wish I could have that. But the good news is, is you can have that. All it requires is an action on your part. Just one act of worship can bring you into the presence of God. Just one act of worship. But you know what I'm looking forward to? I'm looking forward to what it says in Revelation chapter 21. Guys, there is a day. There is a day when it won't just be we who are the tent, the meeting place, the temple for God. Revelation 21, verse 22 says, I did not see talking about the city of God. At the completion of all of his plan, when everything is right, we arrive at this place that John the Revelator envisioned in heaven, the city of God. And it says in Revelation 21, 22, I did not see a temple in the city because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. And if you can just understand what this is going to mean in heaven, you and I, who have lived this life as tattered, probably really shabby-looking tents that house the presence of God for most of it. Let's face it, we are what we are. One day we're going to step into heaven, and there will be a temple, but it won't be the temple you were expecting, because the Lord Almighty and the Lamb of God are the temple. You know what that means for you and I? that we will forever be in his presence. There'll be no more needing to come and go. It's just there. It's just permanently connected, always available, putting us outside of the reach of our problems and our difficulties and our besetting sins. 
because of what Jesus did, we will become perfect in that moment, completely changed. And this brings full circle to what God's been trying to do from the beginning. Not even trying to, just what God has been doing. God wants to bring us back to a complete, unveiled, unfiltered presence. Fully displayed and fully encountered at all times by his people. I want to just, I forgot that I needed to read something to you. Somewhere I have a briefcase. This is awkward. My briefcase. I have a book in that briefcase that I really need right now. I know I brought it into church this morning. I probably set it back here somewhere. You know, this is what I love about our church, is we can just... I found it. I got it. Don't worry. Normally, I would blame my kids for where this went, but I think today it's on me. Yeah, thanks. Sound guy says we can blame him. Thank you, Dallas. If you want a good read, it's called No Diving by David Campbell. He's a Calvinist, so don't be too alarmed. Some some of you will freak right out, but don't worry, it's okay. This is is how he writes in this chapter on worship, which was amazing. Uh, The Bible ends as it began in a garden temple. The only difference is that in the last garden temple, the presence of evil has been cast out. John Piper has said that the ultimate goal of the church is not mission, but worship. Mission exists because and whenever and wherever worship does not. Let me read that to you again. Mission exists because and wherever worship does not. Where there is no worship, mission exists to bring people into the temple of God to worship him. The intention of God throughout human history has been to restore the worship we lost through our own sin and to do so at his expense, ultimately through the blood of his son. To fail to worship is not only to be careless, lazy, or negligent, it is to sin, because it is our worship which not only gives God the honor he is due, but also releases the authority and power of God into the earth. The greatest exercise of your priesthood is to offer to God the sacrifice of your praise. It is not something that anyone else can do for you. Worship is our highest privilege. It is the ultimate expression of our relationship with God. Of all the attacks of Satan on the church, none is more insidious or dangerous than his desperate attempts to keep God's people from worship. He will do it by distorting what is, by diluting what is, by minimalizing what is, by making it into nothing more than a religious exercise, and then by causing people to spend more time arguing about it than doing it. There are the days when God is calling his people to rise up, frustrate every attack of the evil one and bring the worship of God back into his temple and then we will see his kingdom come. Guys, worship is worship is a key to the kingdom for us. 
It's a key to unlocking what God wants to do in this city. It's a key to unlocking the bondage you observe in your family. I'm going to go so far as to say it's a key to unlocking healing in your own life. Because the presence of God has an amazing way of changing everything it encounters. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.